Praise the Lord. Today I want to just give a few um, opening words where my mind is. I, I trust that you'll bear with me just a moment. I don't intend to be philosophical. Maybe I'm a little bit sentimental. You can be seated. I've been with you as a congregation in total years of service, almost 30 years. For those of you that are new to the congregation, I served as a youth pastor, associate pastor, beginning in 1988. And then we were gone five years in Arizona and come back in the year 2000. When I first met you and you met me, I looked a little different. You looked a little different. For me, I had a full head of hair, black and wavy. Our world has changed in those 30 years, 35 running years, almost. And as I find myself now preparing to share from the Word of God on a weekly responsibility, I think back of what I once felt inspired to teach or preach compared to what I do today. And I know a lot of it has to do with our times. A lot of it has to do with me. Today, I want to be very sober as I look over the landscape, as the periodicals, the articles, the books conversations that I hear, things that I deal with as a pastor, the news, the propagandas. As we look at the Word of God, we, how do they line up? As a people, Grace Life Church, of the f- five bullets of position that we hold, the first is we are biblical, and we must remain biblical. For those of you that do some travel, you know exactly what I mean by that because it's not uncommon today to go to places called churches and you hear very little gospel of Jesus Christ. We hear the latest topical conversation many times. We must be a people of the word. Today I want to entitle this message, Fatal Attraction. Now, for those of you that know about Fatal Attractions, either by a movie with that title, a book by that title, or personal experience, Fatal Attraction is just what it says. Something that allures you, something that captures your attention, but it can be, in most cases, fatal. By definition... An attraction, a fatal attraction, is an attraction between an individual and someone or something that is so strong that the individual lacks the power of reason in their thinking. The subject, many times, will have a negative impact on the individual. Another definition says that it's something that causes or contributes to a relational breakup. Wow. Including God. And here's the thing that took my breath 
as I Googled it, how many knows there's the book of Google now in our lives? These are synonyms to fatal attraction. It'll take your breath because, again, it's not from a scholarly commentary of the Bible. It's just standard words today in our world that we live in. Other names for fatal attraction is plague, vanquishing, road to ruin, and the one that really got my attention, Gehenna. Can you believe that Gehenna is a word synonymous with fatal attraction? For those of you that may not be picking up on the term Gehenna, it's a biblical term that represents hell and the fires of hell. It is a place that was outside the walls of Jerusalem that was the garbage dump where they would burn their refuge. The imagery that Jesus would give of Gehenna, comparing it to hell, what happens to an eternal existence without God. All these descriptions are describing a fatal attraction. Would you stand with me now as we read God's word together? Those of you streaming with us, turn with us to... 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want to read verses 1 through 10. Now again, this whole letter is written to Timothy by Paul. It's the last letter that Paul would write, and he's writing from the Mamertine prison. And he knows that Timothy is serving as a pastor, and he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience, amen, and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry." Then Paul goes on and shares where he is. He says, I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought a good fight. I've finished my race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best, and then he goes, personal notes, closing out the letter that we've got to pay close attention to. It was Paul to Timothy, but listen closely. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And as sober as it is, let us receive it with soberness of mind as well. In your name, Jesus, amen. Before you see, to turn to one or two and just say, it's good to see you. (laughs) 
If I can just share a few more personal comments. Again, the responsibility of a pastor over that, that much time. Some of you are preacher's kids. Maybe your grandparent was a, was a pastor. You have the responsibility of life with a people. You get the privilege with longevity to know what it is to dedicate the young and to bury the old, sometimes burying the way too young as well. You have the joy of knowing what it is to have potluck dinners. You know what it is to, to sit down with a family in crisis. You know what it is to make sure that the church is equipping itself beyond just the role of one into the responsibility of the body that we teach one another, that our older women take younger women to the side and train them up, that older men take the younger men aside and train them as well. The privilege of, of being a group of people, a family together, a fellowship. Over the years of responsibility, you know what it is to have those days where the place is bustling and hustling and exciting and you've put together a lot of effort collectively and you get to let your hair down if you still have hair and have a lot of fun. You know what it is to have those moments of spiritual refreshing where the Spirit of the Lord is just moving among a people and those times of somebody coming to faith and surrendering their life to Jesus, those times of people being delivered, those times of water baptisms, those times of of communion where there's just such a harmony among the body. You know what it is to have all these experiences. This is exactly what Paul's writing to, to Timothy. And as I relate now, the reason this letter means so much to me in feeling what I feel these days, knowing that my time is, is coming to an end somewhere in the not-too-distant future. Knowing I'm no longer the 30-year-old something, I've moved a few clicks along the way since then. I'm reading this, and it's a very familiar passage of Scripture to most of us. And then yet you see these closing remarks, and the thing that leaps from the page is, who's Demas? There's two other names mentioned there, but who is Demas? And when you do just a little bit of study, you realize he wasn't somebody that had just come along. Paul had known him for some time. Matter of fact, he had come along Paul's side in his first imprisonment. Demas is mentioned in two other letters in the New Testament. The letter to the church in Colossae as well as to Philemon. And we see him as a ministry partner. And yet it's in this letter, the last letter that Paul would write as he's encouraging Timothy to continue, be sound in what you do. No matter what happens in the culture, no matter how fads come and go, you remain consistent and preach the word of God. Reprove when you need to, rebuke when you must. Give correction and instruction in righteousness. But Demas, he mentions, Demas has forsaken me. When you study that word, you realize that that word doesn't mean, well, he just decided to take a vacation. It means to utterly abandon. This is someone who was involved in ministry together 
And yet now he has abandoned not only Paul, but the faith. What happened to this guy? Was he the real deal at one time, or had he just been going along for the fishes and the loaves, as we say? Was he just there for the pizza parties in our culture, in our time? Or had he been involved in real ministry? He was involved in real ministry. There were regards in the eternal word of God coming from Paul in these other letters. To, yeah, Demas is here right along with me, and he's signing off in these things. But here he is now, and he has to tell Timothy he has forsaken us. And he gave the reason why. Because now he has fallen in love with the world. He's abandoned the faith. He's had a fatal attraction with something that the world is offering. You see, the soberness of a message like this is to remind all of us we're all capable of a fatal attraction. Doesn't matter what age you are. Those of you that are my age and older, we know the expression, don't we? When somebody fails miserably in those older years, ain't no fool like an old fool. Many of us have had to live times where our parents failed in older years. A, a mentor that we esteem so highly failed in older years of responsibility. Fatal attractions don't happen just to the young. It can happen to anybody. And this is why we must be sober-minded. This is why we must remain word-based. This is why when times that it is encouraging us, we embrace it. But times that it's rebuking us, we need to take the rebuke as well. These fatal attractions that lead us to our fall, and many times to a Gehenna, to a burning, savage place that's all-consuming. Again, he's fallen in love with this present world. You see, under the, the authority of preaching this word, how many knows it's still the eternal word of God? What does that mean? Does it, has it always been? It means it's always been and always will be. It's eternal. It is God in print. It is speaking to us. It doesn't matter what era we were born into. It is the same message. It's preaching to us and telling us that we must be careful of the present age. No matter what age we live in whether it's the dark ages or this present age we are in, it is God's word inspired to speak to each person no matter when. And so we take it to heart and we say, then it's speaking to me. Can I have a fatal attraction? I've sung in a choir. I've taught Sunday school classes. I've taught VBS. I've taken kids to youth camp. I worked youth camps. I survived youth camps. Whatever the case is, I've been regular in tithes and offerings. Can I have a fatal attraction? The answer is yes. Demas wasn't just an ordinary individual. Recorded in God's eternal word. There's this thing called apostasy. A falling away from that which we already possessed. Something that we knew that we've abandoned because something else is more alluring, speaking to us. John, 1 John 
Chapter 2, verse 15, uh, 15, excuse me, says, Do not love the world nor its things. And puts things in three descriptive categories. The desires of the flesh. That which is desiring to the eye. And oh, the pride of life. Are these spirits still present today with us? Absolutely. They're always calling on us, always beckoning us, always charming us, always calling to us. Come over here. This looks, boy, you know, I've looked at that site before, but now, oh, it looks so attractive to my eye. I'm in a different place. I never had time for it, but I don't know. It's still calling on me. The desire of the flesh. I was always so strong I could say no to it. But what about now? And oh, the pride of life, of things, of fame. All these things that the world offers. The very thing that Satan, the devil, offered to Jesus himself. I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. Those kingdoms are still being offered to us. You see, this is sound preaching. Because it comes from his word. You see, the Word of God tells us that there's only so much room in our heart. Jesus taught that you can't serve God and mammon. It's the same teaching. James 4 and 4 puts it this way, that friendship with the world is enmity with God. When you fall in love with this world, you no longer can court God or hold on to God. God takes second place. Therefore, he says, You can have no other gods before me, around me. We lose God. It is either or. There's a song that we used to sing. It's a simple little chorus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. There's another verse to that that speaks to us. The cross before me, the world behind me. Sing it with me. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. You see, this this fatal attraction... It's a spiritual adultery. Pride of eyes, flesh, life, the lust of these things. Paul was writing to Timothy, and he talks about the latter times. Do we believe we are living in the latter times? Of all the things that I could preach, teach, exhort, 
This is the one that just calls on me the older I get. It's always fascinated me. But the weight of it today is greater than I've ever known. I look around, people that I enjoy working with, attending church with, worshiping with, the responsibility of knowing that there is an eternity. And there's only one of two places that we will exist from this life. Yes, it's exactly what the Bible says. There's a heaven to gain. Isn't that right, Nanny? How many years have you preached? Sixty-some years. But heaven is still real, isn't it? And there is a hell to shun. This is what... Paul wrote to Timothy in the first letter, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, he said that in the latter times there will be those who will depart from the faith, fatal attraction, something will call on them. And then it goes on and it says they will follow fables and myths and endless genealogies. What is that endless genealogies dealing there? It's those things that just cause us to waste our time and just talk about things that don't take us anywhere, that doesn't mean anything, that leaves us with more questions than answers. But it robs our time. Endless discussions that have no value. Fables, myths, these things that cause us to speculate. The attraction. And he goes on and he says, in the latter times there will be deceiving spirits, lying spirits, and doctrines of devils that has crept into our churches. To, well, what does that mean? Does that mean we we love Satan and 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 laud him? No, that's not what it's saying. You see, to be anti-Christ not only means to be against, it means to take the place of Christ. Those fatal, fatal attractions, those things that allure, that, well, you know, you can't really build a great church if you just preach the boring word of God. I mean, you know, it's been there all along. We've got to have something else Exciting. As much as we enjoy life and we've had the privileges of of fun with the family of God, we can never turn this place over to just being an arena that's filled with entertainment. And yet the seducing spirits are there. This is how to be popular. This is how to be in, in harmony with the culture. And yet we're reminded to be a friend of this world and its things It brings enmity. It separates us from God. It's interesting to note, as I studied it out, there's many references in the last days of that which is going to be denied. And together, I'm just giving simple definition. They will be those who will deny God, his existence. They'll deny Christ. They'll deny the return of Jesus. They will deny the faith. They will deny sound doctrine. 
They will deny morals. Sound like our times? And they will deny the separated life. This is where I'll conclude today. That separated life is something that we've known and we must continue to embrace. This world, Brother Jim, is not our home, is it? Anita, it's not our home, is it? We're just passing through, aren't we? Those of us that have some age on us, we have had to say goodbye to someone very close to us, a child, a spouse, parents, friends, pastors, teachers, best friends. But we realize along the way in the journey, this isn't the end because in Christ we're promised eternal life. But we understand through this life, yes, it's that sound reminder that all of us are just passing through. And the difference right now is, are we living a separated life? Is Jesus truly our Savior? Is he the one and only for us? Is he our way? Is he our truth? Is he our life? Paul said in him, I live I can't live outside of him. Everything I do, I consider him. In him I live and I move and I have my whole identity, my whole being in him. Is that who we are still? The cross before us, the world behind us, the separated life of saying, I'm, I want to enjoy life. Jesus promised I could have abundant life. To know what it is to enjoy family, to know what it is to enjoy fellowship. Yes, we embrace those moments. We know what it is to be on the mountain at the top with everybody else there and having a good time. But we also know life has its valleys. But is Jesus still the focus of our journey? It's what it always comes back to. Am I living a separated life unto him? Do I know his word? Do I embrace his word? And do I live it out? And when I fail, do I repent to him? Do I find myself saying, yes, Jesus, you're more important to me than any attraction of this world? Chris, this sounds old-fashioned today, doesn't it? You see, it's just as current as it's ever been. Because as we live in this present world, God's word is eternal it's always calling on us, the joy, the privilege that it is, yes, to have a separated life. Oh, the, there's attractions to this world. The Bible gives us that truth. There's pleasure in sin, but it only lasts for a season. There are those attractions, whether it's a person or a thing or a place, to I could be accepted in the group I've always wanted to be accepted in if I will do this. But that calling of a separated life says, I can't go there. I can't get involved in it. Well, everybody else is doing it. Well, I know my church I grew up in, they were too strict. Can we get real today? They had a list of things we don't do. In the church of God, we had a whole list of practical commitments. How many remembers the list? Sounds so antiquated, so foolish, so stupid. Why would you make a list? Because they're fatal attractions. Many don't return from them. Were they all evil? No, not, not necessarily. Could be for some, not for others. 
They were just things to look at. They were practical encouragement. We need to make sure that we don't get allured away, get attracted to certain things. The measurement is always the cross. Can I still hold on to the cross and get involved in this? If I can keep my cross of Christ in my life, it'll be okay. But if I come into the group and they say, put your cross in the coat room for a while, then you've got your answer. The cross before me, the world behind me. Would you stand with me today?